hearing pile driving in the middle of the night, that's not like Judge North out there driving pile. <laughs> yeah, yeah maybe, maybe he'll get out there and build it himself. This is Behind the Lens, a podcast from The Lens, New Orleans' first nonprofit, nonpartisan public interest newsroom. I'm Carolyn Heldman. On this week's episode, the summer of sequels continues with the latest on the proposed jail building known as Phase 3. And the former principal of a now-shuttered New Orleans school has been hired as the CEO of the Dryads YMCA, the facility that housed the failed school. And we welcome our newest reporter to the lens, LaChance Perry. Those stories, insight, and analysis coming up on Behind the Lens. Joining us this week, criminal justice reporter Nick Krastel. Hey, Nick. Hey, Carolyn. Education reporter Marta Jusen. Hi, Marta. Hey, Carolyn. And new staff reporter LaChance Perry. Hi, LaChance. Hi, Carolyn. Hi. All right, Nick. Phase three. Phase three, shall we say the sequel? Phase three, part seven. That's kind of a never never ending uh, story. Yeah. What's happening? Well, what is happening? (laughs) Well, supposedly construction was supposed to start in the coming weeks. Um, The judge has ordered the facility to be built. This is the phase three uh, mental health facility that uh, the city is opposed to, the sheriff is opposed to. They've been trying to get out of for several years, and um, they've been ordered to move forward by the, the judge and the federal consent decree who has argued that, that it's necessary to provide uh, adequate mental health care to, to detainees in the jail. Um, the price has gone way up from what it initially started as, so now it's going to cost around $110 million, uh, the city is estimating. Um, so construction was supposed to start this month um, or, or within the next you know several weeks, but a few things need to happen before that uh, can begin. And one of them is that a cooperative endeavor agreement needs to be approved um, by the city and by the sheriff um, and approved by the city council. And then also the city needs to allocate funding uh, to cover the the expenses. They've allocated about $27 million, and then a portion will come from FEMA, about $39 million, but they need to allocate the rest in order to cover the costs. But now, basically, they're trying to figure out a way out of this again. Um, so on Wednesday, there was a city council meeting. Um, the city council has passed a, a resolution calling for an audit of the expenses, which would, um, you know, take take more time, delay the construction further. The sheriff has now filed a new uh, a legal argument against the facility um, that will kind of play out. The, the other parties are, have filed some responses and the judge will make a decision um, in the coming weeks. So really, it, it's... You know, a lot of what we've seen before, um, but now it's really getting down to the wire where where the, this construction team is supposed to start work. The judge um, has, has pretty much lost patience. And I think it's kind of, you know, a game to see how long the council can hold out, how long they can, how, how much they can convince um, the judge to kind of reassess the cost of the facility um, before he basically draws a line and says, I'm, I'm going to hold you in contempt of court if you just don't go forward and build this thing. Right. So withholding these these little procedural things they're doing, like the CEA and, and allocating the funding, are just more strategic ways of holding up the process in a way? Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting. I mean, so at the council meeting yesterday, J.P. Morrell was, was very outspoken about being opposed to this facility and and 
he called it a glass hellscape. The, the design of the facility is something that, that uh, people have seized onto recently as, as one of their main objections to it. But, it, but that was kind of a change in tone from the, the several council members wrote a letter to the judge two weeks ago, basically saying, look, we know this is a done deal, but, you know, it's also really expensive when we just want to, like, you know, make sure that the, the expenses, um, you know, that we're not getting ripped off here or anything and, and just do an audit, independent audit of these expenses. Um, so, you know, that's a pretty big difference to to say we just want to kind of make sure everything's in order versus, uh, you know, we're not going to fund anything in, until we're, we have, you know, until we're certain that it, that it's, that it's worth the money. And, and he said, basically, I don't think there's any way an audit is going to justify, you know, mm. the phase three as it's currently conceived. And so we'll see how the judge responds to that. Mm. You know, I think it, it, as it's always been, it's going to be kind of a question of, to what degree um, the city leaders, the sheriff, are willing to kind of risk, yeah, being held in contempt, and we'll see what that looks like. Also, you know, I it, it, based on you know all the prior proceedings, there hasn't been any indication that the judge is going to let them off the hook on this. But you know, who knows? People people can change their minds, and, and things can change. But but we'll see. All these delay tactics feel like, you know, like no one, no one wants this on their political record, right? So you, everyone's just kind of throwing everything they can at the fire to, to not be the last person who has signed off on this thing or, or not at least question costs, I guess. But it, it really does seem like we're coming down to the wire and how long can you put these things off, especially with kind of silly menial delays, like not signing a CEA or something like that. Um, and what, right. like, at what point can, can, is the judge going to have to hold all of them in contempt? Like, is he going to have to like hold the 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 city safety inspector? You know what I mean? Like, there the levels of this and the kind of how frustrating that is to attempt to get any kind of clearance uh, just kind of seem infinite at this point with these tactics. Right, right. I mean, it, I mean, it's a good question. Like, you know, what? Yeah, what does need to be done to force? Um, a city to build something they don't want to build and how, you know, how, to what degree are they going to, to um, try and try and frustrate him? Um, I mean, it's, with the CEA in particular, he's already ordered the parties in the consent decree to basically argue one way or another and, and let him know whether they believe that he can go ahead and just order what that CEA would have accomplished himself. So he's looking for ways to get around these, these tactics. And it's very, been very clear in the past that kind of, you know, these, these administrative, um, you know, not exactly formalities, but, but for lack of a better word, you know, these things aren't going to get in the way of the construction, Even, you know, funding allocations. He's been very clear, you know, this is not going to stop this facility from getting built. You're going to fund this. Um, I've been hearing pile driving in the middle of the night. That's not like Judge North out there driving. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe he'll get out there and build it himself. So I don't know. It's it's it, it was it was an interesting dynamic too because um, a number of the presenters at at the meeting uh, kind of said, "Look, we you know the this litigation has gotten so heated over the last ten years that everyone's so angry with one another." That, you know, there's no chance of compromise. We need to really tone this down and, and, and kind of, you know, 
try and try and lower the temperature. Um, at the same time, you know, there was some of the most heated kind of uh, rhetoric around the building and, and you know, people like, people calling it a, a, a hellscape and... Uh, the Panopticon. You know, yeah, right. I mean, the Panopticon thing is interesting and we, we can talk about that. Um, well, but before yeah, we... Um, I want to... Um, yeah, before before we go there, I want to ask you a question about a, a really interesting quote that you have in the story from from the city health director Je- Dr. Jennifer Avegno. She writes that uh, it would it, that this the building of the of the facility would take away significant resources from other efforts that the city is doing to address mental health. I I would guess preventatively, she said. I mean, this is in the quote, and it sets up an endless cycle cycle of failure. I'm going to quote her, if you're only getting care while incarcerated, that does not match the care that's able to be provided when you get out. So in other words, I read that as you're going to get really good care in this fancy new facility, and then you're going to be, you're going to be up a creek when you hit the streets. Is that what she's saying? Yeah, I think to some degree, I mean, I don't know, you know, kind of given the resources in the jail, I don't know that, that getting really good care. I mean, I guess that's the, that's the goal of the facility, certainly. Um, but, you know, this is something that advocates and, and, and others have been saying for years is that basically the city itself lacks a, a proper continuum of care for people with mental health issues. And we don't treat people when they're not in the jail. And that's where we should be spending our money. We should be really investing in, in, in care and treatment um, before people people get into the jail in the first place. And, you know, her contention that that this is going to take away resources from specifically from preventative care that the city is, is trying to invest in. They the city has not yet uh, submitted the funding reallocation um, documents to the city council. Susan Gidry did present some of that yesterday, although it was, you know, pretty abstract and she moved through it pretty quickly. So we what's haven't got a really... Wait, what's her, like, official role at this point in time? She is a former council member. She, there's... Okay, so there's no current, like, just checking. <laughs> no, 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 no problem. There's kind of a loose kind of affiliation of advocates, that, and, and Susan Gidry had been one, and, and also was involved in phase three negotiations when she was on the council. Um, so she was there to kind of give a, a bit of a historical perspective of the negotiations when she was there. But in terms of funding, we don't really have a, a super clear idea of where this portion of money is, is going to be drawn from, um, you know, the initial $26 million. Some of it, they, these were capital projects, so building projects that the city kind of deferred or delayed. A lot of them, they said, uh, probably would have been delayed anyway, and they could kind of shift around some money. But, you know, it's going to cost tens of millions of dollars. That money is going to come from somewhere, and it could ostensibly be used for other things. So, you know, that that's the reality of it. And whether or not it would have been used for, you know, preventative mental health care outside of the jail, um, I think we'll kind of get a clearer idea. Or or follow-up care for when you are back on the streets. That's, right. I think, what she's also saying in that, in that um, yeah. objection. So let's talk about sure. the design that all of a sudden now, it seems like out of left field, there's suddenly, wait, we don't like we don't like the design of this either. Am I wrong in that? No, I mean I think that you know we need to maybe separate a couple of different things. One is yes, this design has been publicly available and certainly available to, to the sheriff and, and to other city officials for several years. 
um, and kind of the, the objections that they are making now about it um, are relatively new. So, you know, I think one can reasonably ask why, if, if this was a big problem, why hasn't it been brought up earlier? At the same time, um, you know, there are experts uh, who are saying this, this is, this design is, is you know, not only uh, ineffective, but inhumane and unethical. And um, to give some background, the, the design is to have a kind of control pod in the center with with cells in a circle around it. Um, and from my understanding is, is that the cells will have, have glass fronts at the very least, so people will be able to see in and out, and um, detainees will, will likely be able to see one another um, while in their cells. Mm. And this, they, it's been, you know, called a panopticon. A panopticon is a, this jail design from the... Um, uh, 18th century that that was kind of um, conceived as this as this way for for guards to be constantly watching um, uh, prisoners at all at all times and that prisoners never really even know when a guard is watching them or not but they they could be watched at all times so this kind of total surveillance model so that is kind of what what opponents of the facility are, are calling this you know if you look back at kind of panopticon designs that that we often that you know might uh, conjuring your imagination, it's kind of this tall watchtower in the center, and then there's, you know, several several uh, rows of cells. So it's kind of one tower. This is is a single floor central pod with you know around thirty or so cells surrounding it. Um, it looks not not kind of like the medieval panopticon that, uh, of our imaginations, but but you know I think you could still argue it is. A, a troubling design. I mean, certainly people are arguing that. So, well, with construction about to begin, um, t- to me, the most um, really salient point in all this right now is the is the increase in cost that's gone up twofold, more than twofold since it was ordered to be um, built under the consent under the consent decree. Um, what kind of recourse does the city have to find the money if it comes to pass that they need, they're going to continue on and they have to break ground? I mean, what they say is they need to pull it from other planned capital projects. And that's, that's what they've uh, been planning to do. And, and, you know, we'll see what those end up being. My understanding is that, that, you know, with the, with the previous allocation, there were a number of projects that, they had thought they would be able to move forward with, but for one reason or another, it actually didn't make sense to, and they felt that they, they could delay those projects. Um, so I don't know to what degree that will be the case with, with the remaining funds, um, or, you know, where, where exactly all the money is going to come from, but it is there, it's in the capital budget and they will just need to rearrange it. Yeah, but over a, over a hundred percent more than it was originally could is yeah. some of the reason that, that it went up, not just could, could they tie the, the, the increase in cost to some of the, um, the, uh, expenses going up during the pandemic and related, you know, supply chain issues, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, inflation and price increases like, though, yes, definitely. Um, and that's kind of what the judge has said is, look, you've been delaying this, you know, for the last three years, the prices have gone up. That's your fault. Um, on the other hand, 
I think that those aren't, that's not the only, you know, inflation hasn't increased that much. Um, and, and costs shouldn't, it, you know, there's no reason it should have doubled just for that. Hmm. But, you know, when the city put out a, a request for proposals, they only got a single bid. Um, and they put out two requests for proposals and only got a single bid. Um, so there's not a lot of competition out there, you know, to keep the price down um, mm. on this. Um, and, you know, I don't know what to to what degree an independent audit will will solve that um, if they say, you know, this this thing is uh, um, costing more than it should, you know, even if the city goes out and bids it again, there's no chance, there's no guarantee that that they'll get another bidder. So right now, do we just wait for um, a contempt order or or a groundbreaking ceremony? <laughs> what happens next? That's about right. <laughs> uh, They're right next to each other, so they could happen at the same uh, location. <laughs> I guess that's criminal court, not civil court. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're not, they're not quite uh, right there. Um, so we'll... The judge will rule on the sheriff's motion in the com- in coming days, and you know I don't think that there's much of a chance that that he. I would say there's almost no chance that that he will grant it, um, and then the the sheriff's office will have a chance to appeal, and that's kind of will be the legal, uh, the the upcoming legal developments in the case. Beyond that, you know the judge the the city has sent a letter to the judge saying we passed this resolution urging an independent audit of the expenses. You know, I don't know that the judge needs to respond to that in any formal way, mm. um, but he may, and he may want, you know, want to either say no, uh, or, you know, we're not doing this and, you know, maybe, maybe set some hard deadlines in terms of, in terms of issuing a notice to proceed for the, for the contractors or, or for construction. Um, but I'm not sure. And, uh, I think, yeah, like, like you said, I think that either this thing will, um, uh, start moving or I think, yeah, there, there could be some, uh, a contempt order or a threat of contempt. So, okay. Well, we'll just get the popcorn, sit and wait and watch. Exactly. <laughs> Okay, thanks, Nick. Thank you. You're listening to Behind the Lens. I'm Carolyn Heldman. My guests this week are criminal justice reporter Nick Crestel, education reporter Marta Jusen, and staff reporter LaChance Perry. Hi, I'm Madeline Arufo, and I'm a freelance reporter for The Lens. When you listen to this podcast or read a story at our website, you join in on the process of examining life and culture in a way that makes us all better citizens and better people. With more and more noise and information coming at us every day, it's important to have a place you can rely on for truth and balance. Please make a tax-deductible donation to support our work at our website, thelensnola.org donate. And thank you. Marta, another sequel to talk about. I'm going to bang this thing into the ground. The, the, the Dryads YMCA has hired Erica Mann as its new CEO. She was the principal of the nonprofit's now shuttered charter school, James L. M. Singleton. Uh, it's been shuttered since last summer. And they it's it's been operating still, and they've got a pretty robust childcare facility going out of there. Um, 
and they just announced that they've hired her as the CEO. Remind us of what happened to that school under um, Erica Mann and, and what her new role is. So the Giants Charter School, James M. Singleton School, opened shortly after the storm as a recovery school district charter. Um, and then that transferred over to the Orleans Parish School Board um, during unification. So that was uh, later in uh, 2017 or 18. And the school had always sort of it, it sort of been, you know, academically like fledgling grade in the in the C's or so. And it got worse um, in the later part of the the teens. What decade do we call that? <laughs> um, yeah, the teen. Well, the tens. The tens. I don't know. I don't know. So just, academics were not improving, but there was a host of other issues occurring at sort of the executive level. Um, there were financial issues and financial concerns with how or whether um, federal and state money that was intended for students was coming in and whether it was being commingled with funds that the Y had just for its own, you know, YMCA type programming. And I think those were kind of concerns from the beginning because the I used to go to those board meetings and it would be the YMCA's board and then they would present the school just sort of as like a, as a line item on the YMCA's board. Hmm. And every single other charter school in the city had its own dedicated, you know, nonprofit board just for the school. So it was really set up in a unique way, probably without enough oversight to ensure that the, those pots of money were kept separate. Um, and then later in, I think, 2020, the school district did come in and say, you have to you have to create a separate board for this school. So they created what they called, I think, an education committee. But, you know, at that point in time, that's well over a decade of, of question costs and potential commingling of funds. OK. And then by then it was down and it was no longer a C or D. It, it, it ended up with a F grade a couple couple of years. Yeah, it was it was an F and definitely hanging around an F for for a number of years. So there were definitely academic concerns on on top of the financial issues. And on top of all that, we had this issue of what appeared to be um forged background checks right. uh, completed by one employee who was basically vouching for or saying that people had cleared background checks and then when you ran those serial numbers that were allegedly for employee A saying that they had cleared a background check, you or I, anyone can go in the state system and run that number if you have them. And we got them through public records requests and they would, did not correspond to the name of said employee. So someone was either, you know, kind of photocopying or, or altering records to make it appear as if uh, people were eligible to work for a school, which is a really, really big concern and problem when you're dealing with children. And, right. You know, there are a lot of specific state laws for that. So right. the CEO and the CFO were terminated as a result of that. Miss um, Mann was principal during that time and later on, and it's unclear what, if any, um, things she had to do with the financial stuff, or it doesn't appear, she, though she was involved with any of the background check stuff. Um, I just, you know, I think what is kind of the the bread and butter of the lens and, um, you know, what we try to do is just always pay attention to the small stuff and the small movement within the city of of people and executives and you know, the charter schools are so small that the paper is not always going to report on these little movements or yeah. incremental movements. Not trying to implicate Miss Mann here in any right. way, but just know that she's moving up in the chain in, in, the, in the school and in an organization that has had issues. And 
It's just the kind of thing we like to pay attention to. Yes. So to to be clear, she was, Ms. Mann has never been explicitly implicated in the financial wrongdoing or the background checks, the erroneous or forged background checks at that school. Correct. We just, um, yep, it's just a note on a new administration of a school. We try to keep track of who's who's leading these organizations and or who's leading, you know, the the kind of real question now with the YMCA, um, since they no longer have a school that's uh, seen by the school board. Yeah. Or overseen by the school board is this lingering question of whether or not they spent certain state and federal funds on the building, even as they knew they were no longer going to be a school. Mm. So was that an inappropriate investment of public funding if you knew students weren't going to be using a facility? Um, And that's something that we're still waiting to hear back from the district on. Okay. Um, And it it was a really unique situation for a charter school to have been in a private facility. They're normally in a, you know, a a school owned facility. So fixing the roof in a school board owned facility is not questionable action. That the Dryads YMCA still operates as just, just as a YMCA, but it also has a child care center in it. Okay. Which has grown since the shuttering of the Singleton School? They said they're working on growing uh, that center. Okay. Presumably, since they've lost the the charter, uh, I would imagine a a significant portion of their budget has been cut because they don't get the state funding for the kids. So she's, she's taking over as CEO of a diminished organization just for funding wise, I mean, it doesn't have to operate the school anymore, but it, it's it's continuing on in that same building. It has the same infrastructure costs, I would think, and maybe less money right. to do it. Certainly, it's certainly a very very different budget than she would have been looking at last right. year. Yep. Okay. All right. Thanks for keeping an eye on that for us. Yeah, <laughs> we try. <laughs> All right. Lachance Perry is our newest reporter. Welcome to the lens. Hi, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, tell us about your background. So I'm born and raised in Cincinnati, Ohio. I moved to New Orleans a few years ago to pursue a degree in mass communication with the art minor from Xavier University of Louisiana. And since then, I've been freelancing, familiarizing myself with the city, and just falling in love with my craft. I have hopes of one day becoming a documentarian and just pursuing my career in journalism, blending the um, styles of uh, documentarian work with storytelling and just definitely giving people a platform to tell their own stories. Excellent. Do you have any stories right now that you're working on for The Lens? So we're still working on that. Um, I haven't gotten a story yet, but I've been thinking of some stories that I can possibly pursue and just really figuring out where my interests lie. Um, I'm very, very new to the journalism world, and I'm definitely still learning on how to be a journalist um, is what I would like to say. So my biggest thing now is just really learning what makes a story a story, just um, definitely pursuing and strengthening my skills of investigative journalism. That's definitely something that I'm interested in and just learning from this great team. So in the near future, I'll have some stories to talk about. Oh, good. Well, you've got some excellent role models right here. We're really happy, happy to have you on the lens and we'll have you on when you have a story. For sure. All right, you all stay cool out there. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Dylan. All right. See you later. This is Behind the Lens, a podcast from The Lens, New Orleans' first nonprofit, nonpartisan public interest newsroom. I'm Carolyn Heldman. 
Thanks to our guests this week, criminal justice reporter Nick Crastle, education reporter Marta Jusen, and staff reporter LaChance Perry. You can read all the week's other news and opinions at our website, thelensnola.org. Thanks for listening.